All right, everybody, welcome to Phantom Power Business Hour. Really happy to have a, a friend of mine here, local from Nashville, a two-time Bitcoin book author, Mr. Chris Bay. He has written uh, two books that we're going to talk about. One is Bitcoin for Kiddos. Uh, I think it's probably the only children's book for Bitcoin on the market, as well as a book that made me laugh out loud, 99 Signs, You Might Be a Bitcoin Maximalist. Chris, thank you very much for coming on, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, let's do a little background uh, first. I mean, I don't want to give away what I what I read on your website or on the intros of the book, but tell us how you got in. Let, let's start with how you got into Bitcoin. Uh. I guess I, you could say I've always kind of been in Bitcoin, even before I knew Bitcoin existed. Uh, I've always been a student of money, always trying to figure out how money works, how the wealthy are using money in order to uh, better their lives and buy more assets and accumulate more things and and kind of live the lifestyle that we all see in the Hollywood movies about, you know, the glamour and the glitz and the fame and the jet setting and all that other kind of stuff. But I never really knew how to get there. So I uh, went to school, got a degree in finance, and got into sales, and uh, have just basically been selling most of my life. And I had a conversation with my dad many, many, many years ago in college, and we were talking about what it would take for the world to get along. And, you know, it's, it's kind of... Um, kind of comes back to the source here because the conversation we had was about U.S. and Chinese uh, relationships. And now we seem to be right back in a situation where U.S. and Chinese relationships are tense. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that came out of that conversation, my dad asked me what I thought it would take for the world to get along. And I said, I think we probably need one money or one one thing that binds us all back together that we can at least all agree on has value and and work off of that and at the end of the conversation we kind of realized that, that was never going to happen because there was just too many other differences and too many other political challenges so fast forward about a decade later i'm uh, taking a walk with a buddy of mine just before my first son was born and he tells me about this thing called bitcoin he goes hey have you ever heard of this thing called bitcoin and i said yeah i've heard of it it's uh, i've heard it's for money laundering and i've heard it's for uh, criminals and at the time there was uh, this uh, website called Silk Road where people were buying drugs and guns and yeah. and all sorts of nefarious things on it and uh, he said I think you really need to take a look at it and I said ah, I, I don't think so I, you should probably get out of this as well and over the course of two hours on this hike he tried to convince me to take a closer look at Bitcoin and I tried to convince him all the reasons why it was never going to work. But at the end of that conversation, uh, he, he he intrigued me enough where I went home and I did a couple of quick Google searches on it. And I found Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, uh, which is basically the description of what Bitcoin is and how it's going to change uh, the financial systems and provide a peer-to-peer -peer, um, system uh, of exchange. And uh, it, it reminded me of that conversation I had with my dad a, a decade before. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, this could be that thing. Yeah. And so I went down the rabbit hole a little bit deeper and uh, learned about how to buy it and the exchanges and Coinbase and Kraken and Gemini and uh, all the exchanges that were selling it at the time. And uh, I just started nibbling at it and just buying a little bit of it. And then I'd make a little profit and then I'd sell it. And then uh, I'd see the price start running up higher. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What's going on here? Why is this thing going so so fast, so high? And uh, I just started researching more and more about it and buying a little bit more, nibbling away at it. And the more you buy, the more you start, to, you want to know why you're, you're owning this thing. And, uh, and then, you know, then the price would crash. And then I would want to know even more why I was owning this thing because it seemed really volatile at the time. Yeah, And uh, just, just over time, I just kept talking about it and talking with friends about it and reading about it and listening to podcasts like yours and other people discussing it. So finally, my wife said one day, Chris, you keep talking about this thing. You never shut up. You need to write a book about it for our kids. <laughs> 
And I was like, write a book about Bitcoin? Are you kidding me? I'm not like an economist. I'm not a, a journalist. I don't, I don't know how to do anything like that. And uh, she said, just think about it. So over the course of a year, I, I kind of uh, thought about it and thought about it. And I couldn't come up with it. It's, it's such a vast subject. There's so many different things that you can talk about within Bitcoin. I was like, how am yeah. I going to dial this down to just one concept? And uh, one night I was sitting on the sofa kind of meditating and this idea popped into my head. And uh, before I knew it, I basically had the outline to the whole book written out. And my wife's an artist. And so yeah, she, I saw that. Yeah, she did the illustrations for the kids. She did the book, illustrations yeah. for the book. Uh, yeah. I gave her some kind of some ideas on what to draw on each one of the concepts of the pages. And then uh, she kind of went to work. So over the course of about four months while our kids were sleeping in bed, we'd uh, sit up from about 10 o'clock till one o'clock in the morning at the dining room table, just kind of hashing out ideas and drawing and discussing and putting the book together. So the name of the book, just so, for everybody, it's called Bitcoin for Kiddos. And you can actually go to bitcoinforkiddos.com and see it. And you can buy it there. You can also buy it on Amazon. Um, and you, th this was self-published, right? Like you guys did it through your own, because you've got a website, btcpublish.com, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So they can find it at btcpublish.com. They can find it. Um, at bitcoinforkiddos.com and then they can find it at Amazon, right? Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon also. It costs a little bit more on Amazon because Amazon yeah. costs uh, charges a lot of fees. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that I when I was doing some research on it because you you live like five, ten minutes away from me and I'm like, wait a second, why is Amazon charging more for this? <laughs> you know? uh, anyways, um, what... You just rattled through a bunch of the questions that I had for the book, and I wanted to comment really quick too. But I mean, I, I I love your origin story. You're just nibbling away at it, and uh, but the 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 absolute beginnings of it comes from uh, a desire for everybody to get along, a desire for everybody to live peacefully together, and that's where your thought process started. Um, I, I also love your wife's story uh, that that I saw I, I can't remember which book I saw it in or if it was on the website and, and I won't give it away but she talked about reading another woman's experiences in life and how Bitcoin was able to improve that woman's life and that's what was was kind of like the tipping point for Frida your wife did I pronounce that right Frida uh, Frida yes Frida so that was kind of like the tipping point for your wife to really buy in on this with respect to it, it's benefit for yeah, it, for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It was a story of, a, I believe the woman was from Afghanistan. Yeah. I want to say, and she was living in a, a very impoverished life, married under the thumb of uh, her husband in an in a, in a incredibly male dominated society. And um, she was in a, it was an abusive relationship. And uh, she discovered Bitcoin in a way for her to make her own money and ultimately make enough money um, writing articles and uh, kind of telling her story that she was able to save up enough money and to get out of that relationship and uh, leave the country ultimately, I believe. And she was only able to do that through Bitcoin and getting her story out on the internet to the world and then having them compensate her from around the world uh, in a, in a form of money that she could store and hold herself that wasn't confiscatable and wasn't subject to the rules and regulations of um, of either her husband or or the banking system yeah that that's a that's such a massive benefit that i don't think people understand is is possible and is happening with with bitcoin i mean i i like to believe that we're all philanthropic at heart and to have that power in your hand with your phone, with your lightning wallet, with your on-chain Bitcoin, whatever, to be able to change somebody's life in another part of the world uh, instantly and uh, to do so without any sort of uh, interference, uh, you know, without any sort of middleman is just, it's so powerful. And, and, and I, I find that that really resonates with, with women when you're telling them about what Bitcoin is. But let, let's get back to the book real quick, Bitcoin for Kiddos. Um, tell me r r real quick, uh, 
um, what was the the easiest part of the book to write? Because this was uh, this was your first, as you said earlier, in the in the interview. What was the easiest part of the book to write, and what was the hardest part of the book to write? For me, I'm my wife always tells me that I'm a good storyteller, but for me, the challenge is always getting the story started. You know mm. where where to start? What's what's page one? You know what's the original? What's the idea? And then so once I had the first kind of sentence, and you know the book starts out with you know Bitcoin is something yes something quite rare. It was not something you'll find under your you know in your pocket or under your chair. So the whole the whole story is written in rhyme. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, at that moment when I was meditating on it, and I was like, man, Bitcoin is something, man. It's, it's, it's something special. You know, just that thought really kind of was the kickstart to, and I was like, well, why is it? Why is it special? You know, what is it? And, and just from there, it just kind of manifested itself. You know, again, again it took me a year to think of the concept and about 45 minutes to write the whole story out. So it was wow. almost serendipitous in that respect. You know, there's a there's a synergy there to songwriting because like you're like, damn, I got an idea. Like I know I want to write about X. And you're and you're mulling on it and you're mulling on it. And then that first line comes to you, and then the whole thing just cascades out. And you know, it's it's funny, like the uh, another comparison I'll say is that is that like songwriters sometimes they'll they'll fight and fret and just beat a song up that they're trying to write over the course of two or three weeks, you know, two or three months, or they've, I've had ideas in my head for years that I've never been able to finish. And then one day something pops into your head and the whole damn thing comes out in 45 minutes, just like you said, you know? So it's, I I think there's a synergy there to, uh, you know, from being an author to being a songwriter. Um, What, what type of reaction have you received? Um, from kids uh, about this book yeah they really love it they really love the illustrations in the book and they really love the 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 rhyming style of it and it's written uh simplistically enough where even if you're new to bitcoin or you don't understand money or you don't understand uh the the 2008 financial crisis it's it's engaging it enough there's enough going on in it where it's a fun story and it's it's easy to remember yeah well, I'll give you credit. Like, I, I really like the way that it's written. Um, you know, kids are smarter than we give them credit for. And I liked the fact that you threw some big words in there for them to really chew on, so to speak. You know, like you used the word paper, you used the word currency, you used the term ivory tower. You know, kids, they're naturally, incur- they're naturally curious. They're going to ask questions. And I really like the fact that you threw out just enough big words in there to get them to, you know, to, to think and to ask questions. And then, of course, I also loved how it ended. Um, and I, I, I won't, I won't give it all away with with the end. Um, and 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 the sidebar comments that are made in some of the illustrations like the one that stuck out to me is why do all the boring things go up in price and the fun stuff goes down in value over time i mean those are those are some big topics to cover with kids yeah we wanted to we wanted to create a story that would create um kind of a platform for parents to be begin engaging in their um w- with their kids about money mm-hmm. because Growing up, I, I grew up in a family with two entrepreneurial parents, and the discussion of money and business uh, was something that we talked about at the dinner table all the time. And as my brother and I got older, we, of course, had to help our parents where we could uh, mm-hmm. with, with their businesses, whether it be stuffing envelopes or, or you know, licking stamps or all sorts of things way back in yeah. the day. Um, Compared to my wife's family, who uh, she grew up in a, in a fairly well-off family, but money was never discussed. So the women in the in the household didn't really understand um, money like the men did, and it created a, a sort of barrier um, in communication. Oh. And I never wanted that to happen uh, in, in my relationship. And I wanted my kids, the, the, the earlier you learn about money, um, the, the easier it becomes to, 
uh, understanding and uh, using to your advantage. You know, like a sport or like a song. The first time you play the song, it's clunky, it's hard, it's difficult. Yeah. But the more you practice at it, the easier it becomes and the more fluid things um, become. And you can kind of see the track that you're, you're, you're moving down before it even happens. And uh, so that's kind of the idea we've taken with the concept of, of money and finance for our kids too. get them started early and get them started often. So it doesn't become this taboo subject later in life. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. You know, I, th I think that as a parent, I think the, the two most important things you can give your kids, um, number one is your time. Um, and number two is uh, a great thought process, you know, a good critical thinking skill. And, um, and by writing this book, I think you, um, I think you've done that. I, I, it's really impressive. Um, what, what, what have your kids thought uh, about this book? You, you, I know you've got two kids. What, what do they think about it? Yeah, they, they like it. Uh, my, my daughter reads it all the time <laughs> when she's <laughs> in the bathroom. Um, she got it memorized. She's put yeah. it to music. <laughs> and, and, and my, uh, my son, he hears about Bitcoin so frequently now he's, He's he's almost uh, bored with it, <laughs> but he's yeah he's stuck either way. Yeah, well, did you get any sort of yeah you know w w when you write a song or you write a book or or you're crafting a sales presentation, you're always thinking of hey this is what the message is, but then somebody interprets it in a different way in a positive way, and you're like oh that's cool I didn't even think about it in that respect. Like did you get any sort of uh, unintended positive uh, feedback uh, from this book. Uh, yeah, um, there's uh, if, if you go to the the Twitter account, there's a lot of uh, testimonials uh, okay. from families that have read the book and uh, comments of how their children um, spoke up about certain concepts uh, or topics within the book that that they found as their favorite parts. You know, it's, and it's one of the things that I love about podcasts. And, um, you know, living in the time that we live in right now, because the access to information is so easy to get. And the yeah. way we the way we think about things is is different from person to person. And so listening to the, these conversations uh, allowed me to kind of yeah think about things in a, in a way I hadn't thought about them before and kind of get new insight into um, you know, some, what, what a lot of people would consider really complicated topics. Um, but just listening to conversations from, you know, people a lot smarter than me and people who have had this conversation a lot longer than me, the way they're able to break it down and simplify, uh, the concepts in a way that is more relatable to my life, um, has, has really helped in the educational process of learning more about Bitcoin because by all means, am I not an expert? Uh, or I, I'm definitely not an expert in Bitcoin, but um, I continue to just just plug away at it and keep learning more about it. Well, I'll tell you, every time we've talked, either when we met for coffee that one day or when we played golf, <laughs> like I always walk out of the conversation or even if, if I run into you for a couple of minutes at Bitcoin Park, like you always drop like a little nugget that that just like, you know, it's like a bowling ball getting kicked around in my head. And I'm like, oh, God, I got to write that down and figure out what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> you always give me a lot of you ought to get as, as the young kids say, man, you're spitting bars. You know, like you you're one of the guys that I know whenever I see you or I know whenever I talk to you, you're going to you're going to give me something new to think about. And um, and I, I greatly uh, appreciate that. I um, Yeah, that's. And by the way, I don't know what the hell happened to my camera there. <laughs> we're not using, we're not going to use the video, but for some reason, my my camera crapped out. So, um, all right, let's move on to the next book, which <laughs> I seriously laughed out loud at, at a bunch of these signs. That your second book is called "99 Signs You Might Be a Bitcoin Maximalist," and um, this is a really Great gift for uh, any friend who uh, is in Bitcoin, um, either you know one year in or ten years in. Uh, it's a it's a fun read. Uh, it's a great kind of like a great coffee table type 
type thing. Um, t- tell, me, <laughs> tell me about your thought process behind writing it and, and how, that whole, how that whole thing kicked off. Yeah, it was, well, several years ago, back in the Bitcoin space, there was um, some people in the altcoin space that were trying to find ways to poke fun at Bitcoiners. And, uh, you know, I thought it was really funny because Bitcoiners already know these things about themselves. It's what makes us it's what makes us unique in the sense that we can take a kind of a, a lighter hearted look at ourselves and realize to the outside world that we may be seeming a little crazy uh, if, if you want or uh the cult-esque or religion-like, um, we get a lot in the space. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just thinking about some of the things that I, I, I think about and what I hear other uh, Bitcoiners in the space talk about and think about. And, you know, in our world right now, memes are a really big part of the, the online communication style. And, you know, like the, the saying goes, a picture says a thousand words. And so... Um, honestly, my wife went to the store one day with the kids and I was sitting down at the table and I was listening to some podcasts and some, uh, reading some articles and going through Twitter. And, uh, I was kind of thinking of, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, the, the comedian, you know, like this is your sign. I, I <laughs> you deal. might be a redneck if. Yeah. And so right. I started thinking of the idea of, you know, you might be a Bitcoin maximal if you think these, these things. And uh, I just started, I I wrote down one and then I wrote down two. And then, you know, before I knew it, I had 25 different ones. And um, then I was like, okay, well, you know, let's see how far I can get. And before I knew it, I had like a hundred of them. And and so my wife comes home from the grocery store and while she's putting groceries away, I just started reading it to to her and she started laughing. And uh, we're like, okay, you know, this, this could be the next book that we do. And then so... We wanted to go to El Salvador uh, to visit and to, uh, you know, El Salvador is known as a Bitcoin country now. Uh, Now that they have Bitcoin as legal tender in in the country. And we wanted to go the first year after that was done so we could kind of see where El Salvador was at and then go back several years later and see, you know, how how Bitcoin, if at all, it had changed the country, which uh, for anybody who's following El Salvador now knows that. Bitcoin is changing the country and there have been remarkable changes to the infrastructure, to the crime rates, to people's prosperity. People are actually leaving the United States and moving back to El Salvador because it's a safer, um, uh, a much safer country and a lot more uh, business friendly than it used to be. And so while we were down there on that trip, uh, we wrote out all of the the different little comics and, and memes that are in the book. What a great dude! You're an artist more than you are a sales guy. I think. I mean, you're you're a you are a storyteller. So now, how, how many? How, you, you've got ninety nine here in this book. How many did did you leave out? Um, not too many. After I read it through several of them, a lot of them were very similar, almost almost duplicates. Mm-hmm. So once I, once we eliminated those, figured out you know, whether or not we were, you know, hitting the same topic twice, then it just kind of naturally said, you know, it's either going to be 99 or 101, you know, because. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, yeah, that's a good title. You got another one coming out? Like, do you have another, do you have version two? Uh, you know, because culturally, as you were alluding to with the memes and the education process and the advancements of, of, uh, of Bitcoin, I, I would imagine you're probably driving around and you're like, oh, damn, there's another sign. Like, you know, like I got to write volume two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, not, not right now. Uh, you know, life with two kids is a lot busier than, than one kid. And I'm a traveling sales guy and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to make time for, uh, for my family and for Bitcoin. Uh, we have a couple of other con- concepts that are written down that we've been mulling over, but, uh, the words haven't come out yet. Yeah. So, um, you know, like you were saying with music writing, if you can mull over something for a long time and then finally it all just kind of spills out. I've had to learn with myself not to rush the process and to just let it become more organic and let it happen yeah. when, when it happens. When the time is right, it'll happen. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, if you force anything, I think, in the creative world, you end up not being true 
to yourself. You're not you're not being true to what the message uh, should be. You know, I I think if you force something, you you you're you're being you're allowing your process to get uh, poisoned, for lack of a better word, by selfishness or by uh, influence or whatever. And it's you know if if you've got an original idea, just keep feeding that original idea organically and 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 i think the best of it will come out in time um so they can buy this book on btcpublish.com as well as amazon.com um man this th- this is so neat like I, I i'm sure maybe 10 years ago when you thought about it or when you were starting your professional career after college you 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 didn't realize you were going to be a, a a published author so to speak <laughs> well, I'm a self-published author. Anybody yeah. hey, can be a self-published hey, it's, author. It's still published, baby. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Pat yourself on the back, dude. But yeah, uh, uh, seeing the uh, the community accept it and, and buy it and like it and talk about it, that that's really, um, that makes us happy. You know, that, that, that really helps us feel like we're, uh, we're moving the needle in, in the Bitcoin space and helping with, helping people educate themselves on um, on money and hopefully how to live a, a better life, right? Because we're only here once, you know? It's not like a video game where you get three lives. You only get one life. And Amen. The, the longer you spend it um, in a place you don't want to be, the more of it you've wasted. So yeah. um, get out there and do what you love and don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you or or your decisions because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's your life you're living, not theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I absolutely, I agree with you a hundred percent. Well, I, I would be remiss if I didn't, uh, get your opinion on a couple of things going on with Bitcoin recently. So well, before we get there, I'm interested yeah, yeah, to yeah. know what was your favorite, uh, what was your favorite comment or favorite, uh, idea in Bitcoin for kiddos? And what were your two favorite signs in uh, 99 signs? Okay, so going back to Bitcoin for kiddos, I'll 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 reiterate. I love the that the, there's a bunch that I loved about it. Number one, you use some big words that are going to force kids to ask, and 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 you're going to force them to pry open their brain and and get away from Nickelodeon for a little while. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, the last page. Um, with the family there sitting on the planet, that the, the message that you put out, and I don't want, I, I'm not going to read it here. I don't want to give it away because I want people to buy the book. But I was like, okay, that's cool. Damn it. That's, that, that's needed. And then the other, um, there is uh, like right in the middle of the book, I want to say um, where there is that everything's for sale, low or no money down. Like you had that sidebar comment or Frida had that sidebar comment. Why do all the boring things go up in price and the fun stuff goes down in value over time? Really great thought process for kids. Uh, again, I fully believe that they are kids are always a hell of a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And there's nothing wrong with talking to them like they're adults. There's nothing wrong with using big words around them. Um, you you give them a, a, a mental challenge and you will be surprised at what they give you back. So that answer, does that answer your question on uh, on the kids book? Yeah, it's one of my favorite pages too. It's a, it's a page that we took a lot of time writing down and um, that concept of uh, money versus currency and what the difference is and how uh, it, it's a rabbit hole. That one page is a is a master's class you could get in college, just all written in one page. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Okay. And then the the two signs that I liked, the <laughs> sign number one, <laughs> let's just call it the uh, Dosecki's guy. Yeah. Right. That one made me like right off the bat, I laughed out loud. I'm like, yeah. Okay, I get it. We'll, we'll and I don't want to give, give it a, give people a sense of what it is. It's, okay, there's 99 so, of them. All right, all right. So th- this this is page uh, seven of the book, and it's sign one. Uh, you've read the entire Bitcoin white paper, and and what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll put this up as a chapter so people can see it. Um, but then there's a picture of the, there's a drawing, an illustration of what everybody would know would be the Dosecki's guy. 
And he says, I don't always send money to Nigeria, but when I do, I send Bitcoin. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> the most I, I, interesting man in the world. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a great campaign. Yeah, I loved that. I absolutely loved it. I, I laughed out loud at it. Um, and then I would say, um, sign 57, you love pointing out all the things that Bitcoin fixes. And you've got an illustration there of the cost of food going up, the cost of education going up, the cost of real estate, seesawing but going up, and the cost of fuel going up. Um, those two, the more, you know, I, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only about a year into this, but the more I read, the more I, I'm like, damn, like it, like Bitcoin does knock all of these problems out of the park rationally, you know, mm -hmm. and, and gets rid of that centralized control, that invisible hand that, um, pushes the rest of us down or, or keeps us in our place, so to speak. So those two are the, 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 the very first one made me laugh out loud and made me want to read the rest of the book. And then 57 is a great example of just how in-depth Bitcoin goes. Those are my two. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. I think it's a, I, I, it's a great book. I can't wait for, uh, I can't wait for, 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 for version two, so to speak. <laughs> The next one. Hey, let me ask you a couple of quick, quick questions about um, just what your take on some of the um, issues recently, some of the cultural events surrounding Bitcoin. Um, I, I was listening to um, uh, Natalie uh, Brunel the other day, and she was talking about the price of Bitcoin after the ETFs got approved and how the price went down. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Just, you know, cause I, I always ask these types of questions of you cause I know you're studying it and you're always, and you're a hell of a lot, uh, further along in the process than I am. But what, what are your thoughts on that price drop since the ETF approval? Um, no, it's a, it's a good question. And I definitely have been spending a lot of time on it and, uh, you know, follow the, to the run up to the ETF approval and, you know, now two weeks past the ETF approval. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's always hindsight is, is 2020, right? Where yeah. up until the approval of the ETF, the narrative was uh, there's a wall of cash that's looking to get into Bitcoin, but they can't hold it or custody it themselves. So they can't buy it on Coinbase um, exchange. And it has to be in the form of an ETF. And, but once that ETF is approved, then all these financial institutions and pension funds and, um, uh, you know, basically all the finance was gonna get into the space. And so it seems rational, but I guess the over exuberance of that was the message was kind of put out there in a way where it made it sound like the money was gonna come all at once. Right. Yeah. Where in reality, most of financial advisors or most of the financial industry wasn't sold on the fact that Bitcoin ETF was actually going to be approved. So they spent zero time educating themselves on what Bitcoin is, how it solves a lot of the clunkiness in our current financial system, how it allows for the the peer to peer um, tran transfer of of money between individuals in uh, in real time and final settlement and being your own bank uh basically and a lot of the the stronger conceptual things of bitcoin none of these people did any research on none and so now that the etf is approved it in the in cnbc and the financial times and everybody all the contributors they were all saying this is going to be the sell sell the news event um, and everybody in Bitcoin said, no, 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 this is just the start. You know, everything's going to be great. But I feel like people didn't think about the whole grayscale trust and how many people were really upset uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago when this, this trade that people in the Bitcoin space were putting on that was called, it was, it was, they called it a, a contango trade. Now, I'm not an expert, so don't ask me how to really explain what that is. But 
in general, what it was is it was allowing people to basically buy into this Bitcoin trust, the Grayscale Bitcoin trust at a discount, but then be able to mark on their uh, on their books or uh, in accounting ways, uh, take advantage of the of the market price of Bitcoin, which was at a premium. And so they could capture the difference between what they bought it and what the true price of it was and make make that profit in the middle, basically arbitrage it. And so more and more people started piling into this and piling into this and piling into this. And companies like Celsius and Voyager and FTX were all piling into this trade, you know, and that's where a lot of their money came from. And when this trade unwound and, and blew up and, you know, Celsius turned out they didn't have the Bitcoin they said they had. And when people started doing a run on the exchange and pulling their Bitcoin out, they didn't have it. So they went bust and then Voyager the same and then FTX the same. And then all of this money that was locked. And then so the price of Bitcoin started dropping um, quickly and people couldn't okay. get their money out of the Grayscale Trust because the trusts um, in the trust, Bitcoin could never be sold from it. It goes in, it goes in there, it gets locked up basically forever until um, the roadmap always said that they were going to get an ETF and then that was going to unlock the value for people to be able to take their, their profits out. But the way it all unfolded was the complete opposite. And uh, so now when people are sitting at a 20, 30, 40% loss in the Grayscale Trust, when it finally was approved for the ETF and that wealth was able to become unlocked and captured, people were so upset that they just started selling it, right? Because two reasons. One, because they didn't want to hold their money with Grayscale anymore because of the the situation that they put them in just from an ethical business standpoint. And the other reason was is because the Grayscale fee is the, is like one and a half percent where yeah, like the BlackRock fee is like 0.2 or 0.3%. Right. So uh, the profit margins for the individual investor in the other ETFs are much better. And so people started selling the Grayscale Trust, which in one side was great because it provided liquidity for the other ETFs that did have money flowing into them to be able to buy the Bitcoin. And so now we're just kind of seeing this, uh, this balancing of the, the Bitcoin flowing out of the Grayscale Trust into the other ETFs, while all of us hardcore Bitcoin maximalists continue to buy the dip, you know, when it went to 48 and then it dropped down to 38, um, I was buying. I didn't, I, I wasn't worried about it because the fundamentals of Bitcoin haven't changed. Uh, how, yeah. it, how it solves all these uh, problems around the world for, you know, any, anybody, anybody outside the United, United States hasn't changed. Uh, and so it becomes another good buying opportunity. And, you know, as we've seen, the, the price has already come back up to 42000 Yeah. So these kind of volatile price uh, changes are incredibly common to Bitcoin. And just like we were talking about earlier with the more you practice something, the better you get at it. The more you suffer these, uh, these big down, uh, downward price movements, uh, mm. the less they start to affect your uh, your emotions, um, and in, and when you're when you're dealing with assets and, and buying and selling any kind of whether it's a stock or a bond or a house um, or anything else, you really don't want emotions to get involved, which is incredibly hard to do. It takes practice, and that's why you know the kings of industry or whatever they almost seem like sociopaths, like they have no emotion on anything because they've been wrecked once or twice before in their past, and they've you know, they, they've learned how to manage their expectations and their emotions better. Well, I guess for me, that, that's a great, that's a great a explanation. And thank you. And I, and I guess for me, like what I don't understand when I look at, at the price and I think of, of the people out there who are massive um, holders, you know, like Michael Saylor's company and, and, and some other uh, large firms that are buying up as much as they can. I, I was really surprised to see the price stay down at, at around 40 for a couple of days or a week or whatever it was. Cause I looked at that. I'm like, damn, why aren't, you know, why isn't more people, you know, buying right now and driving the price right back up? Like I, I was, 
in, in my limited knowledge, I was just surprised to see the drop. That's really all I'm saying. And I was surprised that, you know, we didn't hear about somebody major coming in and, you know, buying up X amount and, and, and pushing the price back up. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's, you know, it's, it's a supply and demand type of thing, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of supply that was that had been locked up that became available. And there yeah. was a lot of demand, too. Uh, but, you know, there was, you know, billions of dollars in demand. And, um, you know, unfortunately, several billions of dollars of more of supply. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but these are these are short time frame things, you know, in another three months, no one will even remember this little blip in, uh, in, in the drop yeah. of, of the Bitcoin price. So, you know, the Bitcoin price is just kind of, you know, what, what a lot of us say in this space is when we're asked, how do we get into Bitcoin? And it's like, well, we came for the fiat gains and stayed for the revolution. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you've heard that before, or yeah. something along those lines. And maybe you were even, you know, one of those people who came in like like we all did because we're all looking for a way to live a better a better life and we all realize that there's something fundamentally broken with our money with the dollar system with the with the fiat system which is basically fiat is just a fancy word for saying a piece of paper contract um, that's supposed to be attached to something of value and it's not anymore and but people don't See, okay, I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. <laughs> go for it. Um, when you think of everybody, we all deal with money. And we've all dealt with money since, you know, as early as, probably since our earliest memories. Mm -hmm. And what we don't think about is where that money comes from and how what gives it value, right? We just assume it's taken for granted because when we were born, it had value, quote unquote, and here we are still living in a world where we use it to buy things of value. So it must have value still. But we don't, we're terrible at remembering the past and we're terrible about studying history on, on the whole, not everybody, but society in general, because it's painful to think about some of the things in the past that happened. And, you know, we'd much rather think about the future because the future is always brighter, right? And in 1971, when Nixon took, some, took us off the gold standard, we were no, the, the U.S. dollar was no longer pegged to anything, any asset. Um, it used to be pegged to gold and silver. Now it's not pegged to anything. And so when 2008 happened, the financial crisis happened, and then we started having all of these um, stimulus packages that entered the marketplace. And at first, asset prices went down, and then they started skyrocketing. And um, people just saw their ability to be able to afford a home just get further and further out of reach. But they couldn't really understand why it was happening. And then COVID happened. And then the government injected trillions of dollars into the marketplace. And then we saw what happened last year with the incredible uh, high inflation rates that we got. And so now the governments or the Fed, the central banks are trying to get all that money out of the system, which is why interest rates are so high. But asset prices are still high because they keep saying, okay, um, inflation, we want inflation to be 2% when inflation was at 10%. They said, we're going to get it down to 2%. But what they don't tell you is, okay, well, all that, all those assets that increased at that 10 to 15% amount, those are not going back to the prices that it was in 2008. Those are going to stay high. They're just not going to appreciate in price as quickly. So things that became unattainable for people like homes um, right now is, you know, is a big, is a big problem. Those prices are not going to come back down that far because the government has been spending so much money and taking on so much debt, you know, using the, the government credit card, if you will, yeah. to continue to finance this lavish lifestyle that we can't afford. And so when they decide that they can't do that anymore, um, that basically means the demise of the dollar and the demise of the world as we know it now which basically means that there's no turning back. 
we've, we've reached a point where the debt load is so high, there's no amount of economic growth that can happen that will help us pay down that debt and get our financial house back in order. Mm-hmm. Basically, in the, in, the, in the regular world, what a normal person would do in that situation is file for bankruptcy um, or default in some form. And if the U.S. government were to default on its debts, it would basically completely unwind this imaginary value that the world has put on the currency. And people would run from the dollar as fast as possible, which would basically make the dollar worth less or worthless. And um, they can't do that. So what they need to do is they need to continue to spend. They need to continue to drive asset prices higher so that they can continue to play this fiat game of uh, artificial wealth. Mm-hmm. And so those of us who are beginning to do the work, who have seen kind of the wizard behind the curtain in the, in the Wizard of Oz sort of analogy, realize that there's nothing special about the dollar. There's nothing special at all. You know, we won World War I, we won World War II, we had to recapitalize the world because we were a huge uh, industrial powerhouse in the in the middle of the 1900s, and uh, we needed people to sell them to. So we had to basically fix the world economies to give them the strength so that they could start buying our stuff. And now we have completely stripped out our entire um, industrial complex in the United States where we hardly make anything anymore. In fact, China makes all the stuff or Europe makes the stuff and we buy it all from them. So in order for us to build our country back in a way that would give our money value is we would actually need more industrial infrastructure here in the United States. I agree. But because our dollar is so strong, the amount of money we would have to pay employees to do that would make our products unaccessible for the rest of the world because they couldn't afford them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's this it's this really precarious situation that we find ourselves in right now. And um, going going back to, you know, why Bitcoin? Um, why Bitcoin is because it's a decentralized uh, money, the digital money. Uh, we, as, as the younger generations, understand the power of digital wealth and how companies can just have an online presence and have value. You know, Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, you know MySpace, you know, Napster was kind of one of the first ones that really, uh, you know, not to talk about that in the music industry, but in one <laughs> sense, it destroyed the music industry. And in another sense, it rebuilt it from the ground up in a way that was much uh, more advantageous to the consumers of music, right? Yeah, and it also pointed the signs of distribution, you know, it re- realigned the, the paths of distribution for, uh, for musicians, especially independent musicians, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like the idea of the phoenix, right? And uh, yeah. out, of the, out of the flames of the death of the phoenix, you know, is re- reborn anew. Um, and that's kind of, you know, Napster is to music as Bitcoin is to finance. Wow, that's a great, that's a great analogy. I hadn't thought about it like that. I'm going to steal that from you. I hadn't thought about that's, it until just right now, too. Damn, so, dude. I never had to put Bitcoin and, bit and music together before, so. <laughs> well, um, that, that's a great way to wrap up this whole conversation because of course you know that like what we do with the four podcasts that we put out and that we try to put out every week is that they are nine times out of ten they're focused on musicians and um and what we have seen with uh musicians posting their music in the bitcoin space be it through wave lake or self-hosting through rss feeds or things like that like and starting to make some decent money every month and it's and it's still the early stages like this isn't even the first inning or the first quarter man this is preseason you know uh this is spring training and um the opportunities that ally that are out there for musicians in the value for value space um this what's happening now is very much napster 2.0 
for the for the music industry and uh this and this direct link between the listener and the artist that you know via the via value for value the direct compensation of you know i'm listening to chris's band play down here in in nashville and i'm like man that band's great i'm going to send them some bitcoin directly i'm going to send them some satoshis directly you know we, we've never had that before you know uh the, the ability for somebody in another country to listen to your band and send you sats directly and and support you directly we've never had that before so it very much is uh napster 2.0 but um yeah i i i see your analogy um napster is you know bitcoin is to to finance what napster was to the music industry so it's going to change everything so cool man chris thank you very much for coming on uh really appreciate it don't forget everybody you can find his books at btcpublish.com uh don't buy them on amazon buy, buy them straight from the website is that, that that the better way to do it buy it from the website you'll get the same experience at a lower cost right and chris will probably sign them for you um both of these books are great gift ideas great for kids uh the the 99 signs book uh is is such a funny way of looking at it and and i think it's uh it it should be in the library of everybody who owns bitcoin so i i uh i'm happy to help you uh spread the word of this book and uh look forward to the next one you're going to write I don't, I don't know you know however many years it's going to take dude I'd let, let me know and uh we'll, we'll do it again appreciate that thanks right on, chris all right buddy have a great day we'll see you soon all right you too so my thanks to Chris for coming on the show and joining us make sure you go to btcpublish.com and you can buy those two books I got uh, copies of them I love them Bitcoin for kiddos is great for young kids and 99 signs is is a perfect gift for that maximalist in your life you know what i you know what what i thought would be kind of cool it's kind of like a bromance gift right <laughs> I, I love that idea um hey next week on the phantom power business hour we've got brian dement from the orange pill app coming in that'll come out a week from today today is the is monday the 29th right uh don't forget on wednesday we will have the next phantom power music hour which is pretty much an hour of uh music right all value for value sometimes i shake it up sometimes i do jazz sometimes i do a chill sometimes i do edm this week is going to be uh just your standard pop and rock stuff love it love it love it and then Friday, we've got the Phantom Power Music Review, where I'm going to dive into three songs and tell you what I like about them and kind of deconstruct them. And who knows, you might even hear me play a little bit of piano as I deconstruct them. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please send us some sats. Reach out to us via Noster or Telegram. Uh, or Twitter. Uh, if you've got any suggestions or uh, guests uh, that you would like to see on the show, happy to accommodate. And I think that'll do it. Good? Good. Don't forget to smile for the mugshot, guys. See you later.